The advice and informational content does not necessarily represent the views of Mother's Market and Kitchen. Mother's recommends consulting your health professional for your personal medical condition. Hello, I'm Kimberly King, and welcome to the Mother's Market Radio Show, a show dedicated to the truth, beauty, and goodness of the human condition. On today's show, wake up and start stretching, because that's one of the best things you can do for your joint pain. Everyone has it since you reach a certain age, so today we'll let you know how to limit your pain and feel better at any age. But first up, we're joined today by another prominent physician when it comes to alternative medicine. Dr. Alan Sossin is certified in the internal medicine and nephrology, the study of kidney disease. He's the founder of the Institute for Progressive Medicine. Dr. Sossin is experienced in the traditional methods of diagnosing and treating disease. Over the last 30 years, he has developed a system of nutritional, lifestyle, and alternative therapies. He specializes in management of heart disease, diabetes, and hypertension, bioidentical hormone replacement, and platelet-rich plasma and prolozone for joint pain. And we welcome him back to the Mother's Market Radio Show. Dr. Sawson, how are you? I'm good, Kim. How are you doing? Great, thank you. Before we get to today's topic, please fill us in on your mission and your work, Dr. Sawson. Well, I believe in lifestyle approaches to medical problems and general health. Uh, I use medications. I send people for testing. We do blood studies in the office. But I think as far as managing what's going on, the best way to help anyone is to help them with their nutrition, their exercise, their stress levels, work with nutritional supplementation because I believe that vitamins and minerals and amino acids are beneficial. And a lot of us don't get what we need from our diets. And that's, you know, those are the best ways of approaching people's health. If you need medication, you use it. I mean, I've treated infections with antibiotics, but if you can promote an individual's health, you will greatly reduce the incidence of problems, and then you need less in the way of operations and less in the way of medicine. That's very true. And, well, today we are talking about how we can handle joint pain. And so, Dr. Sassen, how common is joint pain? Joint pain is uh, basically universal past a certain age. You know, I don't think I have anybody as a patient past the age of 50 who doesn't have pain somewhere. Yeah. Uh, younger people are luckier. You know, they still run into problems with injuries and sports and stuff like that, but because they're supple and uh, they don't tend to have joint pain, but uh, adults do. And again, a lot of it's related to our lifestyle. The uh, more we work, the more we have to work, the more we sit, the more we use computers, uh, the more pain we're going to have. And some people think, well, I'm getting pain because I'm moving too much. I'm doing too much soccer. I'm doing too much of this, too much of that, which is true to a degree. But there's actually more pain in people who don't move than in people who do move. And that's, uh, that's sort of like a myth, it seems. Huh? People have it backward. Which joints are most commonly affected? Back pain, hmm. by far number one. When you say back pain, you know, what does that mean? You know, is my back falling apart? Uh, you know, where is it located and what's going on? Everybody past the age of 50 or so, if you do an MRI on them, you're going to see abnormalities. The discs between the bones are thinner. Uh, you may see bone spurs coming out. You may see a little bit of slippage of the vertebrae one to the next. And then the MRI or the CT scan is in, interpreted to say, this is the problem, this is the cause of that person's pain, and it isn't. Most of the cause of back pain is really myofascial, meaning it's coming from muscles, ligaments, and tendons, uh, and not coming from the cartilage and the bones. Hmm. 
Some of it is from those things, but most of it is not. And if you only address the arthritic component, which is what you can see on an MRI or a CT, you're not going to get to the bottom of the person's problems. And I've seen many patients who had operations performed for, say, back pain uh, and didn't get better because the operation was not the right item. Not that it was done improperly, but that it wasn't the right item to treat the problem. And so when you say, what is it, myofascial? Myofascial. Myofascial. How do you, so I guess how do you treat that then? What what are the treatments for that? The best treatment or management for myofascial problems is stretching. Mm. You know, nobody stretches enough. Even the people who do stretch and know to stretch are still not stretching enough. And how much is enough? I don't know. (laughs) I know that every day is important. And it's important to focus on that part of the body that is the most troubled. So, you know, the muscles of the buttocks, the muscles of the thighs. Uh, When I examine people who have back pain, uh, I always press on the muscles in the back, and you always find areas of tenderness. And a lot of these are trigger points. A trigger point is a part of a muscle uh, that has gotten tight, so it kind of goes into its own spasm. And when a muscle goes into spasm, then the blood flow into that part of the muscle is diminished and the blood flow out of the muscle is also diminished. So that part of the muscle doesn't get energy and doesn't get rid of waste products. So it's almost like having a sewer in your body Mm. uh, that's not getting handled. It's not going to get handled until the trigger points are managed. And that's through stretching and generally with massage. Mm. Uh, There's a lot of people available who do massage and uh, it's, it's good to get massage. I've finally found someone for myself who's an expert, an expert's expert in my opinion. And he has saved me from a pretty bad back pain three different times in the last five years. And every time it was myofascial. It wasn't bones. It wasn't a a ruptured disc. There was a lot of things it wasn't. It was always myofascial pain. But that can carry on for a long time. You know, it's not something where you do it once and it's gone. Uh, Each of the problems that I had required six to eight treatments, uh, at least, to get rid of them. And if I was smart, I would continue to go and get massage every week, which I don't do. <laughs> but at least I have myself stretching every day. And so what do you suppose the causes are of this um, joint pain, no matter if it's in the back or if it's in our knees, wherever, wherever that joint pain is? Is it from being having a sedentary lifestyle or being too active? What, what are those causes? Well, you can run into trouble from being too active. I mean, if there's an injury... You know, a person injures a knee or injures a hip or injures the back or injures the shoulder. That part doesn't get used. Uh, the part that's injured is going to be kept still, so it doesn't move. And the muscles around it will not be used either. So that whole area tends to get socked in and tight. Mm-hmm. You've heard of what a frozen shoulder is. Mm-hmm. And that oftentimes comes from an injury. Sometimes there isn't even an injury. My wife did have a frozen shoulder that a couple of years ago that she got from being on her computer eight hours a day. And it took about six months to get rid of it. It was really bad. She, you know, she couldn't put on her bra. She had trouble getting dressed. She really couldn't use that arm. Uh, but there was nothing wrong with the bones. You know, she didn't have arthritis. It was all from muscle and tendons getting tight. And as I said, when they get tight, they get trigger points. They get a loss of blood flow, uh, and they lose elasticity. Mm. And when you don't move and you don't stretch things get tight. They get tighter and tighter. And that's frequently the problem with people in their 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. They're just tighter and tighter. And it becomes very difficult to to move. And also, the joints pay for it. 
Yeah. Because when you when you lose that elasticity, the joints tend to degenerate more. So you can get arthritis on top of myofascial pain. Mm. They, those things tend to go together. It's another vicious cycle that, mm. that develops. But at any point in that progression, if you address problems, you can stop it. And a lot of times you can reverse it. And people who thought they needed joint replacement don't need joint replacement. What about um, injections? Are there any injections that are beneficial? Most of the injections conventionally done are steroids, mm. which act to reduce inflammation. They're very good at that. And you can put those injections anywhere in the body. You can put it into shoulders or knees or hips or lower backs. Uh, a lot of people get these things done, and they're effective oftentimes for a period of time. But the problem with steroids is they don't build tissue. They degenerate tissue. Mm -hmm. So the more steroid injections you get into a joint, the greater is the chance that that joint is going to fall apart eventually. It'll just atrophy. And then you need maybe a new joint. Uh, so mm -hmm. doctors who give joint injections try not to use steroids very much. There's another type of injection called hyaluronic acid, which is uh, paid for by Medicare and other insurances. And this provides a lubricant to the joints, and it's pretty effective for knees. Uh, we do that. Uh, sometimes it's effective for shoulders and hips as well, but insurances don't want to pay for it for that. But synvisc or hyaluronic acid or orthovisc, these are effective treatments. In our practice, we like to use prolotherapy, which is alternative. And most doctors don't know much about it. Some orthopedists don't know much about it either, and most of them don't do it. Prolotherapy is proliferative therapy. So you're putting something into a joint or into a muscle or into a tendon that's going to build that tissue. And it's sugar water for the most part. Hmm. So dextrose in water, usually given with lidocaine or procaine. We usually put in some vitamins and some minerals and some herbal stuff as well. And I have mostly used it in knees with pretty good results. I'd say about 80 to 90% of patients we see with knee pain, whether it's myofascial, whether it's degenerative arthritis, whether it's a meniscus problem, all of those tend to improve with prolotherapy. Hmm. And these days we're doing it with ultrasound guidance, which shows you exactly where the needle is going. Wow. Uh, we've been doing that for the last few months. A lot of orthopedists are using that these days, and I think it's hmm. a superior way of doing things. But we were getting very good results just by finding the spots by touch. That was effective mm. as well. This is a little one step beyond that. Uh, but prolotherapy can be mm. given into any joint in the body. You can do it in lower back. Uh, I have a patient I see who's in his 80s who's had back pain for 60 years, and nothing worked for him over all that time, uh, he told me, except the prolotherapy that we do. Wow. So he comes in every few months and gets some injections, and he's you know back in business. He, he plays bridge all the time. So he wants to be able to sit and play bridge. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And ozone is an addition to that. Uh, I've been doing prolotherapy for about 15 years. And we added ozone, I don't know, three or four or five years ago when I found out that ozone also was beneficial in reducing inflammation and helping to build tissue. Ozone is a gas that you make from oxygen. So we have machines with an oxygen tank next to them. Yeah, there's some right in the corner there. <laughs> Uh, and you hook up the oxygen to the ozone machine, there's an electrical charge that changes O2, oxygen, into O3, which is ozone. Ozone has a funny smell to it. You can always tell it's there, and it's what you can smell in the air when there's a lightning storm because hmm. the lightning changes oxygen in the atmosphere into ozone, and you can smell that for a while after a lightning storm. 
So we put that into the injection as well. It's, it's kind of mixed in. You give the prolotherapy first, the liquid, and then you put the ozone in after that, and it's an additive effect. So uh, I've been uh, happy using both of those together for the last few years. How long does that process take to see to show a result? You can get a change in symptoms in minutes. It depends mm-hmm. on you know who you're treating and where you're injecting. I've had probably a dozen treatments into my knee in the last few years, and mm-hmm. every time I had an injection, I felt better immediately. I think probably because of the procaine effect. You know, it's a topical anesthetic. The thing was that the pain didn't come back even after that. Wow. So it would just continue to work. And I think there's sometimes a pain cycle where if you can block that cycle at any point, you can generally relieve the pain and it will persist. A lot of people really don't feel the change for a few days to two or three weeks because prolotherapy really takes two or three weeks Mm -hmm. to get the full effect. You have to stimulate the tissues. The the tissues have to... uh, proliferate. They have to grow new tissue. And that's usually about a three-week deal. Wow. That's a fascinating process and one that I've never heard of before. So that's interesting. Um, Doctor, can you describe the difference between, um, you talked a little bit about osteoporosis and osteoarthritis. Osteoporosis is a loss of bone mass. It's a Mm -hmm. loss of calcium primarily from bone. And it doesn't cause pain. Oh, you don't know. You don't realize that's happening. You don't know you have it. The person who's got osteoporosis doesn't know they have osteoporosis until something breaks. Okay. I mean, if you fall down and uh, you know you break a, a lumbar vertebra, you know that can occur because the bone's gotten weak. And if a bone breaks, it's going to cause a lot of pain. But in the process of developing osteoporosis, and I have patients with some very low bone densities, uh, they don't feel it. Is there a way, is there like a a test that you can take for a bone density mass or something there? I mean, otherwise, we don't realize that we're losing. I mean, I guess the older we get, we lose bone density. Right. But Uh, is there anything we can take to? The test that's done is a DEXA bone density. That's the most common one, which is a low-dose X-ray. And you basically lie on a table and take pictures of the lumbar spine and the hips and sometimes the wrists. And the machinery tells you, it gives you a score. So Mm. if you have a a T-score of minus 2.5, which is comparing the bone density to that of a 30-year-old. If you're lower than minus 2.5, you have osteoporosis. If you're between minus 1 and minus 2.5, you have osteopenia leading toward osteoporosis. And if you're better than minus 1, then you're, you're okay. So every woman probably who is going into menopause or if she has a family history or if she's tall and skinny and light-skinned because those people all tend to get osteoporosis more easily mm. or if they drink a lot of alcohol, which takes calcium out of your bones, those people should get bone densities done, in my opinion, at an earlier age, maybe at the age of uh, 45 or even 40, mm. to know where they are at that point in time because if the bone density is low, you can do things to build it up. That's interesting. Can um, can pain be due to muscles, tendons, or ligaments? Most pain is coming from muscles, tendons, or ligaments. I mean, we're talking about uh, orthopedic pain, of course. Right. Uh, but most orthopedic pain is coming from muscles, tendons, or ligaments. A lot of people who have uh, headaches, which is a real common situation, Uh, And they call it migraine or they call it something else. You know, it's coming from temporal mandibular joint Mm -hmm. problems and problems in the jaw can go to the back of your head or the top of your head or it's coming from the neck, which is really common. 
uh, and a lot of people who have headaches don't realize that the neck is causing the headache. So then you do an examination, you find tender points in the back of the neck, and you send them to physical therapy, or you send them to massage therapy, and they do stretching and those kinds of things, and the pain goes away, the headaches go away, because it's really coming from the neck. It's probably the majority of headaches are coming from neck problems. I mean, other things can do it. There can be difficulties with vision. Uh, there can be brain tumors, you know, but those are far in the minority. You always have to think about the worst possibility and, you know, maybe rule that out. But if you're going to treat somebody and make them better, usually it, it's related to myofascial pain, uh, that kind of treatment. Hmm. Well, this is all very interesting information. And again, there's plenty more to learn from Dr. Sawson. So please stay with us. We'll be right back. Looking for healthier snack options? Mother's Market sources organic and non-GMO small batch, high quality, great tasting nuts, dried fruits, snacks, and candy. The goal? To provide you the highest in quality snacks while also offering high nutritional value. Fan favorites include non-GMO peanut butter pretzel bites, organic dried mango slices, and organic dark chocolate peanut clusters. Stop into your local Mother's Market today to explore all the varieties and pick some up to try for yourself. Let's talk menstruation, perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause. These shouldn't be taboo topics. They're the normal life phases we move through as women. And Solaray delivers support every step of the way with her life stages. The first of its kind comprehensive new supplement line offers doctor formulated solutions at each stage with clinically backed ingredients you can count on. Own the stage. Buy Solaray at Mother's Market today. And welcome back to the Mother's Market Radio Show. And we want to take the time to remind you that if you missed any portion of today's show, you can find us on iTunes by searching Mother's Market or download from our website, mothersmarket.com. Click the link for radio and listen to past shows. Plus, download healthy recipes and money savings coupons, all available at mothersmarket.com. And now back to our interview with Dr. Sawson. And we're talking about how you can handle your joint pain. What kinds of physical therapy are useful? Well, there's a lot of modalities available these days. Uh, heat and ice sometimes alternating has always been a good way. Uh, stretching, as I mentioned, is really important. And one of the really good things about a good physical therapy operation is they will show you uh, what to stretch and how to stretch. It's not something, well, just go stretch that muscle or stretch that arm. You can't do it that way. You have to know the technique. So that's helped me a lot, and it's helped a lot of patients when they had this actually demonstrated to them. I um, mean, you get a sheet of paper that has pictures, et cetera, but you need a physical demonstration. The person needs to do it himself in front of the therapist so they can see how you're doing it and how difficult it is and how else they can adjust it because not everybody can go out and just stretch. Mm -hmm. You know, certain things won't stretch. So you have to work on that. Uh, and working with... Uh, Balls is another very big thing. I have uh, four or five different sizes of balls that you can apply to a part of your body that's tight or painful, and you roll on the ball. Oh, you yeah. can roll against the wall, against the door. You can roll on the floor, which is a little bit harder to control, but it's a lot easier to work with a ball than with some of these rollers that people use. Like if you put the lateral thigh on a roller and roll over it on the floor, uh, you might be screaming in pain. It's very, very uncomfortable, and it's something you can oftentimes do after a while, but if you start with using balls, uh, it's a lot easier to work with, and they're different sizes, and again, 
you need demonstration. You know, how do I use this ball? You know, how, do, what do, how much pressure do I use? How do I roll on it? Mm. All of these things should be demonstrated. And once you have been taught how to do it, you do it at home. Mm. And again, it should be done very frequently. That's good advice. When should joint replacement be performed? I think joint replacement is like the final step. You know, to have joint pain and then you go and you get a picture taken and the doctor says, oh, let's, we need to put a new knee in there. Uh, I would not do it that way. I think just about anybody who's having problems with a joint should try other modalities first. So you do physical therapy. You do injections maybe with prolotherapy, with prolotherapy plus ozone or platelet-rich plasma, which is another way of doing it. And there's a Another way, which is using stem cells, which are cells extracted from the person's bone marrow or fat, and those cells can stimulate growth as well, and you inject them into the joint, into the muscle, into different areas to produce new tissue. Those procedures are all quite safe. They either work or they don't, and if they work, you don't need surgery, and if they don't work, you can have surgery. But to replace a joint that doesn't really need replacement, then you have to keep in mind that a joint replacement is going to last so long. Hmm. It's going to last 10 years, it's going to last 20 years, and if you get it at the age of 40, when you're 60, you're going to need another one. Hmm. And the second one doesn't work as well as the first, and the orthopedist will tell you that. And then when you're 80, you need a third one. So it's much better to try and protect what you have and make that work better than to go out and, and get a new one. Sometimes there's just no choice. You know, a person is completely immobile with the joint. Uh, they've done everything. They're still in pain. They can't walk then I say, sure, go ahead and do it. Because one of the most important things in life is to be able to move. Right. If you can possibly move, you need to move. So you want to make that happen. That's a good point. What about diet? Is it related to joint pain? Diet has a lot to do with joint pain. It's pretty interesting. So these days we will pretty routinely tell somebody who's having joint pain or muscle pain or ligament pain, whatever you want to call it, Get off of sugar, get off of dairy, and get off of wheat. Hmm. And I'm not sure which one works the best. It depends on the patient. But I've had patients who went on gluten-free diets or grain-free diets, and their pain became 10, 20, or 60% better. Hmm. And sometimes it even went away. I have uh, several patients with rheumatoid arthritis that's been shown by laboratory studies and x-rays, and we got them on these kinds of diets, and their pain went away. Hmm. And they didn't need medication. Wow. And if that can happen with rheumatoid disease, it can certainly happen with, you know, degenerative joint problems. And I've seen that many times. So I think anybody who's having uh, orthopedic-type pain should go after some dietary changes, especially if they're, you know, used to having lots of fast foods and sugar and that kind of stuff, because it will make it worse. <laughs> well, are there risks connected with taking medications? Every medication has a risk. Good answer. <laughs> Every medication is actually a toxin. Hmm. Everything that you take as a medication is stopping something from happening. It's not making something happen. It's stopping something from happening. So you have beta blockers. Mm -hmm. You have calcium channel blockers. You have angiotensin receptor blockers. Hmm. You have all of these things that work as blockers. The things that are more promoting of things are hormones. And I don't really regard hormones in the same way as I regard other medications because the body makes hormones. But the body doesn't make penicillin. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't make beta blockers. These things are all artificial materials. And some people have, have called medications 
toxins with sometimes beneficial side effects. Hmm. So some people will take a medication like a statin drug. You know, I have lots of patients who won't take a statin drug. And it's characteristic for a lot of doctors to tell anybody with a cholesterol over 200, you need to be on a statin, uh. which I think is ridiculous. Wow. You know, you can get a cholesterol below 200 without going on a statin drug. You can do it with dietary changes. I've lowered my cholesterol 100 points in a month just with dietary changes. Uh, you can lower cholesterol with niacin. You can lower cholesterol or at least triglycerides with fish oil. There's a lot of supplements that can be used to handle cholesterol without using statin drugs. I was just going to ask you about supplements. And so that can also help with your cholesterol and sure. also with joint pain too? or just Yeah, supplements? you know, and there's so many people have developed problems with statin drugs. When they first came out, it was like everybody should be on it. It should be in the water. Some people still say that. <laughs> if you put it in everybody's water, you can have a lot of sick people. Uh, and there are cardiologists now and other doctors who are using lower doses of statin because the side effects are dose-related. Mm. So if you're on one drug, 80 milligrams a day, and the person can't get out of bed because their legs are so sore, which is what you can see, and you cut the 80 down to 10, or sometimes 10 three days a week, you can help reduce the cholesterol without giving the person the side effects. So I'll do that in people uh, a fair amount of the time. I think statins are best used in people who have pre-existing disease. Mm. So if you've had a heart attack, if you've had a stroke, uh, then I'm much more likely to use statins, although I have people who still won't use them. If a person has no pre-existing disease but has a high cholesterol, unless it's outrageously high, I will always work with lifestyle changes and nutritional supplements like niacin first. Hmm. And a lot of times you can get that number down pretty well. And the statins really don't much prolong life in people who haven't had heart disease. If they've had heart disease, it does. But without pre-existing heart disease, you can reduce cardiac events somewhat, uh, but it's not a life-saving treatment. Well, this is really fascinating information, and thank you so much for your time, Dr. Sausen. We look forward to having you on again, but in the meantime, you can catch more of Dr. Sausen on his website, iprogressivemed.com, and learn more about his passion for alternative medicine and other great things he's involved with. We look forward to our next visit. Thank you. Thanks, Kim. Thanks for listening to the Mother's Market Radio Show and for shopping at Mother's Market. The advice and informational content does not necessarily represent the views of Mother's Market and Kitchen. Mother's recommends consulting your health professional for your personal medical condition.